Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. What an honor. And there was several more things I just wanted to add to a couple of those stories. During those days of renewal, there was just uh, the move of God's Spirit. I still remember over, I know the building was a little smaller at that time, but it was one person, he stood there, he said, my dad has Alzheimer's. And I didn't know before later on he contacted in the environment here. Over the phone, his father was in Arkansas, Little Rock, Arkansas, and the spirit hit his father and he was healed from, from this very place. Somebody else that needed knee surgery, I still remember when they were sitting around in this building. It was a very glorious time where we, and I, and I felt very clearly that we had a visitation, but in this next season, God is going to give us a habitation. The, I knew there was a fire that came at that time, but now God has built you a healthy fireplace. And the fire belongs to fireplaces, and now the wind is going to come and spark those fires to other fireplaces. So, uh, so I'm saying that we honor our roots so we can be entrusted with fruits. And I do believe with all of my heart that, that there's a connection, a covenant relationship. And, and Dave, he, he was joking with me earlier because he said, you also, when you came, you robbed uh, some of our people from us and hired them. And it was actually Leanne Goff that I, I was joking with. I said, she was one of the orphans in the house that I adopted. <laughs> and she became a spiritual daughter, a very dear friend. And, and she served and ministered so well. And still today, we, we talked yesterday, we talked almost on a regular basis, and I've been part of her transformation and journey, and she is part of this house, so you blessed me with some of the best, and Christopher, who is here, he's traveled with me around the world, we've had so many experiences, he's one of the few that has gone with me to my home country, Norway, and we had a lot of fun together, and it's just, it's always an honor, he's one of those people that I can, one of the two, three people in my life that can just anywhere in the middle of the sermon. He never know what I'm going to do. And I just told, oh, Christopher's just going to come and take over right now. And, <laughs> and, and, and we have a lot of fun with that. And I just love both Dave and Kathy. I still remember they had just moved into their new house and, and I got to visit their home and their family. But I also remember the day and the miracle of Renee when she came up. I remember right in this spot Lisa was sitting. And I never forget that every day when I travel and when I meet people, with cerebral policy. So in a sense, you, you have the thrill of victory, but sometimes you feel the agony of defeat. So you live with this tension. And then for years, since that moment, for over 10 years, I prayed for, I don't know how many people, everywhere I went with people with cerebral palsy. And I never saw a breakthrough. And then less than two years ago in the Philippines, right before COVID-19 closed down, there was this father and the mother that came in and they have a, a three-year-old child and said, last year you prayed for our child that had cerebral palsy. Do you remember? It? Head was tilted like that. And you took and hold that child. And, and now I have the doctor with us here and everybody else. But she got totally healed from cerebral policy. So. And so it's been, it was a season where I just was meditating and Jesus came to save that which was lost. Not just those that was lost, but that which was lost. Luke 19, 10. 
So I've been in this season of just also seeing redemption and even for you to make a list of wherever the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy. Just remember, Jesus came to save that which was lost. And I've had all this back, I mean, I've had broken neck, broken back, and, but just a few weeks ago, by faith, I went and I did horseback riding with my wife on the mountain of Colorado. And uh, I have not been skiing, I've not been skiing in, in, in some 30 years, that's something I love to do, but because of my broken neck, broken back, body cast, some of the things have been true, but I'm going to order me a ski trip this winter because Jesus came to save that which was lost. And I had another experience. There's been a lot of experience. But through that journey, we, I also right afterwards, uh, I, I met a severe autistic boy. And autism was another one that I had been praying for for years. And I never saw a breakthrough. And my wife's best friend had a son with severe autism. And it was always hard when we were around because he was always screaming. And you couldn't have a service like that without either he had to be taken out because there was so much noise. And... So over and over again, for years and after years, I prayed for people with autism, and, but couldn't see any major breakthrough. And I remember I was with a couple of my friends, David Hogan. Some of you know who David Hogan is, and Meltari. Meltari is another interesting person. And we were in Bangkok, Thailand, doing a meeting, kind of similar like this. And then there was this one boy who was actually sitting around on the fourth row. And this boy was, ah, 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 all during the meeting. And as soon as we had any invitation, it was either up to David Hogan or Mel Tark, whoever was speaking, and a mom brought that boy, and he was screaming, and they were praying, and doing everything that we knew how to do. She went back with a boy and continued this. And eventually, I started even getting a little irritated and frustrated, just thinking, this is a leadership meeting, and we're going to have this impartation. And again, the lady, she wouldn't stop. She would bring the same boy up again and again. She, she would not give up. And I'm kind of a little frustrated, and God just spoke to me. And I just had to repent. So he said, I want you to sit down. That's my daughter. She's been watching the video of Mel. She heard the story of David Hogan raising the dead and Mel Tari raising the dead and walking in water. She said, watch your videos. I'm just sitting there on the stage while they were standing up there. And all the people filled up for an impartation. And all I'm doing is I'm sitting on the stage. And, and God started to remind me, this is my daughter. And she went home last night and put the boy to bed and he has never been able to speak. And she came there with hope. And then you're getting irritated. And I just repented and cried, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So I just sat there. And then the boy had just been prayed for again. He come crawling up. And I'm sitting on the stage like that. But it was steps. So he crawled up in the front of us. And actually, Jake Hamilton, he said he never forgot it. He was up also playing the guitar. But he saw, he watched this boy coming up. And he put his legs around me. At first he was, uh, 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 and he was not hitting me hard. And then eventually he put his head into my chest, uh, uh, and he would continue. In front of everyone, I didn't pray for one single person in that room. I just sat there and just got so overwhelmed by the love the father had for this boy. And as these waves of love, I sat there for over 45 minutes. As you could just feel the love. And the mama stood there. And she was crying, realizing that this boy doesn't sit still for this long. But he wouldn't leave. He just put his head into my chest. And he was just loving on me and squeezing me and loving on me. And I was loving and kissing on him. And then eventually, when I brought him back to the mama, he was so calm. And I didn't know. But that night, he went back to the mama. And he started to speak. He got his voice back. And he got healed from severe autism. <laughs> Because Jesus came to save that which was lost. 
And then I ended up in Cambodia, and I don't know why these stories are coming to my mind this evening, but I came to Cambodia and went and I saw the killing fields, and again my heart was broken, because if you have seen the killing fields or the genocide museum in Phnom Penh, in Cambodia, it's horrific, the evil that took place, with several million slaughter in the most brutal ways. So when you're watching these prisons and the pictures and the torture, it's, it's a horrific thing. And I was so traumatized. And I felt the Lord said, I'm heading up to the north because we had actually had 4,000 young people. And I released the baptism of love for the next generation where pretty much the parents' generation was gone because of the genocide. And the liquid love, I never forgot it. When the baptism of love hit that room of 4,000 young people, I actually have it on the phone. It wouldn't stop. It was wave after wave of love that filled that room and a scream that came out of those people as mass healing was taking place and deliverance was taking place. And then the glory just... The glory just filled that room. And then I went up to the northern part, and I was going to have a meeting with a guy named Steve Hyde, who is connected to both Randy Clark and myself. And he has been faithful, married a Khmer, made marry a Cambodian. And uh, all of her family, 24 members, got killed. She was the only one that survived, and she was almost starved to death during this time. Horrific. So I started to minister, and I still remember we had a blind lady that got her eyes open. Somebody was deaf and mute right on the second row. Mass healings and miracle that took place, and it was a beautiful time. But then the Lord started to deal with me. He says, Leif, you, you, you're loving well the victims, but what about the victimizer? What about the guys that did this, that killed so I asked the leader, is there any Khmer Rouge, some of the previous soldiers? And they said, yes, there is some people, but they're kind of a, a way. I want you to see if you could bring them tomorrow. And they brought them to the meeting. And, and they were first standing on the outside with the tattoos. And they were very hard people. And I still, because some of the tattoos symbolized this, the killings and everything else. And it was very, very rough people. And I still remember, I just, I struggled because I'd seen the gruesome thing that these guys has done. And I knew that the father was teaching me a new level of love. And just to love them the way that the Father was loving them. And as I started to embrace and they started to weep, uh, we had an evening service, a reconciliation service with about 500 people in that room. And again, the liquid love came in. And then there was afterwards, he, uh, excuse me, a testimony of, of the different people that was healed. And the whole stage was just filled up. And, and again, there was blind eyes, there was deaf and mute. And, and it was just an amazing story. And translator was there. And we were all amazed by this unity, this reconciliation that God did in a meeting. And then this one lady, she came up and, and through the translator, she said, I, I don't know how to read and write. And I'm like, excuse me, ask her, what did Jesus do for her? And again, that's what being translated. I don't know how to read and write. And I said, translate, well, this is a testimony, and people were healed. This person was deaf and mute, and now they can hear and speak. And this one had cancer, and now the cancer disappeared. So what did Jesus do for you? And all she said is, uh, I don't know how to read and write. I said to the translator, I don't think you understand and finally, the translator said, no, I don't think you understand. <laughs> she said, this lady was one of the little girls during the Khmer Rouge days where they killed parents. But also, if you had anyone that was educated, they would kill them. So the parents decided, it's a whole generation of people in here that learned to be ignorant because during this whole time, if you did not know how to read and write, they would spare your life. 
And she's one who survived. And she had all these years, I don't know how many, 20-some years of just the stigma and the pain of what was desire and everything else. And then I remember the scripture, but Jesus came to save that which was lost. So it's just one of those two, three times when the gift of faith just came on me. And I'd heard Steve Hyatt sharing some stories of testimony that built my faith. And then we brought the Khmer Bible up. And, and the lady was there with a the translator. And I opened up to John 3, 16. And, and I said, I want her to read. And the translator said, she doesn't know how to read. And I said, but Jesus came to save that which was lost. And she said, no, I don't think you understand. She doesn't know. She never learned how <laughs> I said, no, no, you don't understand, I said to the translator, because Luke 19, 10 says, Jesus came to save that which was lost. Not just those that was lost, but that which was lost. And the lady came up, and I never forget it. She starts, and here she starts to read, just fluently, supernaturally reading. She shared her testimony in that room, and we had 85 people in that room. That started to read supernaturally because Jesus came to save that which was lost. So congratulations, we are born for such a time as this. We are born during the time when the kingdom of the Lord is becoming the kingdom of this world. And it is an honor for me to be back again with this family. And I'm going to just take a little bit of time this afternoon kind of just to give you a little update. Uh, my wife, by the way, she sends love and greetings. We just spent this last week celebrating her 60th birthday. And for some of you that followed her on social media, it was tremendous. We had a very, very great time. And we now have a son-in-law and a daughter-in-law. And then we have a daughter just got engaged in Europe. And then, uh, as I said, we've been married now for over 32 years. And this COVID-19 season, that seems to be, it was so hard for me because I felt that I've been traveling so much. I've been at war for so long, and then suddenly you crash land. And my wife and I had to kind of learn how to do life again. (laughs) (laughs) So I had some crisis moments for a couple of months. And then I decided I'm going to get in shape. And then I tore my rotator cuff. And then I went through about a nine-month period of time. And then my son-in-law, uh, we have an African-American son-in-law. So here I am, a Norwegian Viking, <laughs> married to a Cherokee Indian. And then we have an Afri- African-American son-in-law married to our daughter. And we hope to have chocolate grandbabies in the future. <laughs> I'm dreaming about that. Wow. And I love Ravon and I love our family. But during the COVID-19, my, uh, my son-in-law, his mom, his mom died of COVID. And it, it was a tragedy for us because he has lost all of his grandparents. He has lost both of his parents. And we are left. And I still remember this is in the middle of the tension that was going on for a lot of us. So I had a torn rotator cuff and it was like hit after hit after hit. And then we found out that his mom died. And that was also during the time when George Floyd, around the same season. And that didn't help a whole lot. I live in Georgia and in Peachtree City, where I live in this kind of a little bubble where uh, we are the top 1% school system in the country. the, the lowest 1% crime. It is a beautiful, nice area that was kind of a build for Delta Executive. It's beautiful. And I, I'm very grateful where I live. And I'm very grateful because my neighbor, the closest, is a Hindu. And then I have a Buddhist right here. And then I have a Jew right here. And then I have a Muslim right here. So soon I don't have to go to the wall any longer. God sends the wall to me. 
No jet lag? Wow, Papa, I get so excited. Well, somebody, one of my friends is kind of a conservative, and I'm conservative too, but, but he was like, we have all these Muslims coming in. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but they're coming in with all that faith from, yeah, then I don't have to go to Afghanistan. They're coming here. They're becoming my neighbors. <laughs> so it all has to do with a perspective of how you see things. But in that time, and I thought I understood some of the black and white situation when when the things was burning. And some of you maybe watched me on social media, but when my city Atlanta was burning, something was happening with me. Because Jesus is both the Lamb of God and he is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. But in the book of Revelation, Jesus is 24 times Lamb and only one time Lion. So don't underestimate the power of the Lamb in the future. And in this last season, we've had a lot of people that have been roaring as lion without having the lamb's heart. And when we roar, people will scatter instead of gather when it doesn't come from the lamb's heart. And the lamb in you is when you're being broken over the things that is broken. So I know what these people deserve, but instead, can you place that on me so they can become free? Could you set Barabbas free and I take his place? That is the lamb in us when we're suddenly, it's called the ministry of reconciliation that is not holding people's sin against them. We're coming in here and saying, I'm willing to take whatever you deserve so that you can get what you don't deserve. That's what Jesus did for us. And then he said, as the Father sent me, I also send you. Yeah. I mean, this is the gospel. This is the good news. So in the sense that I've had authority and I say, you only have authority where you love. But you also have authority where you weep over. So be aware of your tears was being broken. And I didn't realize when we went up to the funeral of Ravon's funeral. And my daughter's name, my name is Hetland. And her name used to be Hetland when she married Ravon. It became Fuqua. And Fuqua is a very strange name. And even for an African-American. So I thought when we stood there and I blessed them and they got married and my daughter changed the name. Her name is Fuca. But when we had a funeral, we came into this ranch, this land area in Elgin, Alabama, in the thick of Alabama. We came into this five-acre area. And then I see all these graves there. And when we came there, this is the Fuqua farm. And this is where the slave owner used to own his family. And where the grave is, is where his parents are buried, his grandparents and all of his family are buried right there. Because that's where the blacks had to be buried, because you're not allowed to be buried where the whites are. And I went in there, and I wept, and I went back to my city of Atlanta, and I went right into the street with all the march and everything that was going on. Not because of a political thing, but because of a Jesus thing. When there is injustice... And I felt this lion in me rise up as the lamb in me was being broken over the pain that was taking place. You only have authority where you love. So I started to decide to listen to their story and walking with them and marching with them. And I was there. And it was not a political thing, as I say, it was a kingdom thing for me. And there was something, and the same happened in the Middle East and what's going on in Afghanistan. Next month, I'm going to jump on a plane. This last week, we were doing a big feeding of the Afghan refugees in Pakistan right on the border. And I'm heading right in the middle of that situation too because I'm in the light business. And every time there is darkness, my stock goes up. (laughs) Arise and shine for your light has come. Yes, there's going to be darkness and gross darkness, but in the middle of it, here we are, sons and daughters that is going to carry his light.
So I thought about just setting that as a little framework. We've been through this incredible season, and there's a couple of words. In the middle of it, I went into Pakistan, and it was a very tough time. The churches was being persecuted, because in, in the Muslim world, the believers are the lowest of the low. They are almost like the lepers to some degree. So when the COVID hit over in both Pakistan and India and Bangladesh and some of those countries, I knew it was not a good time, because people didn't travel in the middle of it. But I felt that they, they, they were crying out, and I felt I needed going in and to be able to represent the Father to those people and bringing a fresh baptism of both faith, hope, and love. So I brought in, and we decided we're going to gather about 700 from all over, from Afghanistan to India, border, all over the persecuted church. Let's bring them together and extravagant Jesus' feet. Let's feed them for a few days and bless them. And, but then they shut down the country the week before. So this created, okay, I had to use some of my favorite cards. And as a result of it, we did end up in, and it was extravagant what God did. So many healing. One moment, there was a wave. About 300 people got healed. And some of the people that was the most broken, I did a foot wash and washed the feet publicly because I wanted them to see what the lamb looks like. Because they were looking at me as being on the top. Because I had just met with the president. I meet him with the top government leaders. But I wanted a persecuted church to see that the ones that wants to be big has to become small. And it is to wash their feet. And so this thing was broken in the air. It was a glorious time. And we ended up. And then I ended up speaking at the Batshai Mosque, the King's Mosque. As an infidel. <laughs> Releasing a message. Then they shut down Sharia Law University, and I was supposed to be in a lecture, and because of COVID, everything shut down. But every time the enemy attacked, they shut down the persecuted church. We ended up with a tent because the building, we couldn't use buildings. And it was all these things short notice because everything with the enemy attacked led to an upgrade. So for believers, that's why you consider it joy when these tribes come against you because it always leads to upgrade. Every time there's fear coming against me, it gives me an upgrade in love. And perfect love now casts out fear. So I would have never had that love if I didn't have all that fear that I was crippled with. <laughs> so it was not because I did a word study on agape or eros of healing. No, it was that I had an encounter with love. And the one I was beholding is the one I became. And what I became is what I started to release in the mosque. It's just a different way of living and loving. So anyway, so, but when I came out of that, it was just a glorious time, but hard because you were burning up. I had just had a surgery and there had been one hit after the other. And anyway, I make the story short because it's connected to my message tonight. But as I came out of that, I was like, I'm alive. Me and Pastor Mike, who came with me, we made it out of there alive. And a glory had just hit and touched the nation. We had so much favor that took place. Meeting with a Shia Muslim and one of the imam, I'm just showing you a quick video in a few moments just but one of them you will see with a long beard that I hug I used to be this guy for six years he everywhere I went he stirred up trouble and he wanted me killed and he even went and declared that I have blasphemed their great prophet Muhammad but every time they come in to kill us I had to struggle with being around this person how do I love somebody like that and God started to deal with me because I was viewing him as a problem instead of as a promise I was seeing him as a terrorist Saul because I couldn't see the Apostle Paul. Because I didn't have the Father's perspective. So I was reacting to his evil towards me instead of overcome evil with good. 
and allowing the goodness of God to lead to mass repentance. So anyway, so here it is when God shifted something in my heart. I don't know what happened, but he broke his arm. And it was this official meeting. He's showing up on a cast. And this interestingly, the last time he met me was this official government meeting. And he had to shake my hand. He went in and he washed off his hand because he says, I touched an infidel and he was unclean. It was like touching a leper touching me. And now here he is in the meeting with a broken arm. And I'm sitting across and I'm like, ah, papa. He is a target for love. As an infant, I cannot touch him. And I heard a story that I had touched him. But now it's interesting, the same arm that he cleaned. He said, with a cast, I just didn't pray about it or ask. I just, with all these imams around, I just went right over, touched that cast. I said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And the bone just came right together. He took off the cast and all of the things he had there. Totally healed, full movements. And our relationship started to change from that moment on. <laughs> we have a couple of books, but I just wanted to give them away. Uh, that's called Healing the Orphan Spirit. Just one book that I believe is needed in this season, where I do believe that Papa is taking us from being orphans to become beloved sons and daughters, living from love instead of towards love. Stop being achievers, learning to be receivers. No longer living from measure, but start to live from fullness. From that identity, there is intimacy. Out of the intimacy, there is inheritance. And out of the inheritance, there is destiny for sons and daughters. And this book is all about called to reign. You and I are called to reign. So who are you? Identity. Where are you? intimacy. What do you have? Inheritance. And what are you called to do? Destiny. So this is taking you on a journey. If you've seen my message on the three chairs, what we need today is since 93% of the believers are living in chair two, meaning they are actually being influenced by the world instead of influencing the world. We are being overwhelmed by what's happening around us because whatever overwhelms you shapes you. If you're being overwhelmed by love, love shapes you. If you're being overwhelmed by his presence, by his goodness, by his kindness, whatever overwhelms us in this season will start to shape us. And this is all about learning to be overwhelmed by him so nothing else can overwhelm you. And even experience that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I'll tell you, a healthy fear of the Lord in this season suddenly gets rid of the fear for anything else. You become fear-free when you know who he is and who you are. I sense I wanted just to give that to you. Your upgrade is confirmed, sir. So back to my message then. So I'm landing home from that trip to the Middle East and everywhere there is chaos. We had the masks on. You come to Dubai airport out of Pakistan and we've been on the battlefield. But I want everybody to know there is a battle you fight after the battle you won. And we have to be aware of that. So many, many times what you will see is what the enemy is trying to do in this season. I'm just saying that it just, this is a little leadership, but he's trying to wear us out. And one of the biggest weapons of the enemy is fatigue, fatigue. Because if he can fatigue you out, he's burning your emotional tank to go low, then he pushes the button of fear. And you no longer see the world the way it is. You see the world the way you are. And you do not have the right lenses because suddenly you're looking at America and you see a problem instead of a promise. And then you see how big the giant is because you no longer see how big God is. 
And you do not recognize that you are a giant slayer and the Goliath that is before you and your destiny. If there was not for Goliath, David would only have been a shepherd's boy. So we have some giants in the land and everybody can name the giant, but you have to learn to know when you name the giant, you need to have a name for God. So if that is maybe cancer, then you need to understand it is a season to no longer come to just have a date with Jesus when you're married to him. Let me say that one more time. We're living in a season where we don't need to come and just try to have another date with Jesus when you're actually married to him. So we have all these promises and prophetic words, but we forget our wedding band. So maybe God says that you're going to have a child and everything else, but what God means you have to get married first, then becoming one with that person, becoming naked, and then you go through a process called gestation before there is birth. So a lot of people are frustrated even in this season because like myself in 2019, I had all these promises of 2020, 2020 vision, and here's all the things going to happen, and all the opposite happened. And then people, if you do not understand, say understand. understand. You will not know how to value. Say value. Yeah. If you don't know how to value, you wouldn't know how to steward. Say steward. If you don't know how to steward, you don't know how to multiply. Say multiply. And if you don't know how to multiply, you don't get authority. Say authority. Or to put it in another stand. There's a lot of people in this season, they don't understand the time we're living in. We're living in a Kairos moment right now. The second most important time in world's history. The last one was about 2,000 years ago. If I took all of you back again, first to Bethlehem and later on to Nazareth. But if you were to meet a 12-year-old boy in Nazareth, and imagine there's a bunch of 12-year-olds. They are playing in Nazareth. And then there's this one boy. He runs home to mom and says, Mama, Mama, I don't want to play with Jesus anymore. He always thinks he is right. <laughs> and this one boy, he's playing basketball, and he's playing against this boy named Jesus. And it's like playing God against God himself. I'm using a little bit of humor, but all I'm trying to say during the season, during the time of Jesus, there was a lot of people that didn't understand the time they were living in. They didn't know the Kairos moment. They didn't know who was actually showing up in town. And there was actually very few people in the upper room. There was about 120 people. There were multitudes around Jesus, but very few people actually capture and knew. And I think that we had a season that we are shouting in. It's like Palm Sunday. Hey, we have a king and... And then suddenly there's a different election than what we thought. And then this is happening and that is happening. And we have this issue when Jesus is taking us from the mountain and into a dark season. And then he is heading towards a cross. We have a lot of people that want Sunday, but they don't want Friday. So we want all the benefits there is on a Sunday, but not realizing that he's taking us towards a Friday moment. The rest of the disciples, they ran because they didn't understand the time. And crippled by fear, John, together with some women, were the only one at the cross. And the reason I'm sharing some of those things that is burning in me, when I landed after all of this stuff, I didn't totally capture the time that we were living in. And the second we have to answer, and I'm going to try to do that today, is what is God doing in our generation? I didn't say what the devil is doing. And I know there's going to be a lot of talk about what the Democrats is doing or so-and-so is doing. And there's a lot of people are being distracted by what God is not doing because they don't see what God is doing. 
And it is time for us to have a clear plumb line of getting in. My sheep hears my voice for us to knowing who we are and whose we are. Because creation right now is moaning and groaning for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of glory to be revealed. Where are the sons? Where are the daughters? That's the cry of creation. So in the middle of this chaos in Pakistan, my emotional tank is down. And it looks like I have a lot of hope on Sunday instead of meeting a Friday. I land in New York, and when I land in New York, I'm exhausted, and I can't wait. I'm going to have seven days of Sabbath. I'm going to start and enter into the hard work of rest. But as soon as I landed and my phone got on after 14 hours on the plane, suddenly one message after the other, please call. One was from Mama Frida. And if you remember Frida Taylor, she sends her love and greetings this evening. And she texts me, says, you need to call me right away. Then my wife texts you need to call me, and other people text me. And I'm like, what's going on? So I called first Mama Frida, because she was the first one that came. I said, what's going on? And she said, you need to come down to Florida. I don't think that Papa Jack is going to make it. And then I, I called my wife, and she said, you need to hurry. And I know you want to come home, but I think you just need to go down to Florida. Papa Jack is in the hospital, and they say they don't believe he's going to make it. I've had four or five incidents before when I flew wherever it was, met with Papa Jack, when he had a heart attack, when he ran over with a four-wheeler, and and, uh, there was times that we were near-death experiences, but at this moment, I just did whatever it is. I thought, I'm going to fight. We're going to get a Papa back because I know that he's going to live and not die. But I'm exhausted and tired, end up in Florida and going outside the hospital in Florida, and Frida's there, and I pick her up, and we holding each other. My time comes in and Papa's there. He is not coherent. I say, Papa, Papa. I'm exhausted. I want to sleep. But Papa, Papa. There's no response back. He's like, oh, oh. And he is wired up. And I'm trying. The guy that has been the strength, the one that gave me wisdom, the one that was praying for me in Pakistan almost every day for 21 years. Anyone that knows me knows that I wake up with a sonship and I think about Papa God and Papa Jack. But now he's there helpless. And I'm declaring there's healing in the covenant. There's healing in the kingdom. And I have my wedding band knowing, God, you're going to do Eventually I have to leave the hospital room, go outside the hospital. So other family members, because of COVID-19, only one person could be in the hospital room at a time. Frida goes in for about 30 minutes. Then Tim and Tammy go for 30 minutes. That afternoon, on Friday afternoon, on uh, April the 23rd, I'm able to go in for one more 30 minutes. And while I am there with Papa Jack, uh, uh, and again, I'm just, Papa, Papa, I tap it, I kiss him, Papa. I said, Papa, Papa, come back, I need you, Papa. And I kiss him. And suddenly he looked at me, almost like clarity, and he said, Son, welcome back. I've been praying for you. And I'm like, Papa, Papa. And I'm trying to get him to say something else. And he said, I said, Papa, what is your favorite message? Because I'm trying to get him back and be coherent. Is he talking? He said, Moses and, and the rod lay it down. And that's the last words he spoke. They took him to hospice. We waited there and eventually he died. And he got upgraded together with Bob Phillips. And I started into a dark morning at 3, 
8.30 on April 25th in the morning, Papa Jack was gone. And part of the reason then I'm bringing this rod with me to you guys, because this is Papa Jack's rod that I brought with me to Heartland. And it is the last words that somebody says, and Dave had sent me a powerful word, because he said, when great men dies, great wealth is being transferred. And I took all of those notes, Dave, and I've been pondering about him. And I realized that he had a Billy Graham that was taken up. And we've had a season where we lost Rainer Bonke. Then we've lost a person like Luz Palau. People like Oral Roberts. And then Papa Jack. There's been all these generals that has gone home to heaven. And now there's almost like a gap. If you think about the three people that have led more people to Jesus in the last 100 years, perhaps in the world's history. They've all taken home, and now there's a harvest ready, and we need harvesters. And the ones that carry that mantle, God is looking for somebody that can steward and take up some of those mantles. They don't need them in heaven. And I'm just feeling there's something of the fear of the Lord. But I've always asked, I had the honor of being there with Louis Palauan. I just talked to the person who spent 36 years with Billy Graham. That was his voice and did the chicken soup of the soul. And I've had the honor of being with Rainer Bunk and different ones. And I've always, but what are some of the last things they say before they are gone? Like Jesus at the Great Commission was some of the last thing he told them. So that his last command becomes our first priority. So on my phone, I recorded that from Papa Jack. I'm going to show Dave tomorrow. And that is, I recorded Moses and the rod. And I knew that Papa Jack, this is the last chance he had to speak. And he's gone. And I was trying to meditate. I knew this was one of his life messages. For 45 years, he's been talking this message. But I was trying to tap into the spirit. What is he trying to say to us in this season? And I knew very clearly, it took me back 16 years earlier, first time I was introduced with a rod with Papa Jack. He said, son, in this season, you're going to learn how to hold a rod, lay down a rod, and pick up a rod. But if you pick it up too early, it's going to be a serpent. He said, what do you have in your hand? I ended up in a treatment center, had to lay down everything and let all the hiss go out, all the poisonous thing go out. It was a tough time over five months without being able to do anything before I was able to pick up the rod. And that's when we met right afterwards in Minneapolis. So I knew there was something in the spirit, but I felt I wanted to tap into something that Papa Jack hadn't shared. So I wanted to start with the N in mind. So if you have your Bible, do we have Bibles? And if not, put it also on the screen if you can. But we're going to read from Joshua chapter 21. And I'm going to try to do this in about 24, 25 minutes, and then we will have some time of ministry. Joshua chapter 22, verse, excuse me, 21, verse 43 to 45. And I want you to say this with me, if you can. Joshua 21, verse 43 to 45. I'm reading from the New King James Version. So the Lord gave to Israel... All the land that he had sown to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and they dwelled in it. I want you just to say the word all. all. Say it again. Say all. all. Let's continue. Next verse. Verse 44. The Lord gave them rest all around. Say rest all around. Rest all around. According to all he had sown to their fathers. Say all. And not the man of all their enemies stood against them. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. And the Lord delivered all. Say all. all. 
all their enemies into their hand. Let's continue verse 45. Not a word failed. Say that with me. Of any good thing. Which the Lord has spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Isn't this exciting? There was a season in Israel's life. And I'm starting with the end in itself. Imagine when I was coming into Des Moines. And my airplane is going on. All chronic pain is gone. If there was anybody with a cancer on the plane, it would just disappear. Because you're coming into a place where there's shalom. There is rest on all sides. Not, not one of the enemy could come against them. Yeah. Everything that had come against you and your family and your finances, all of those things has been defeated. Amen. And you've actually finally entered into your cane and your promised land. I know when I was an evangelical, I said, that's when you get to heaven. No, that's when heaven gets to you. And I can describe it because in heaven there is not going to be giants greater than yourself. Yeah. And there was also seven nations greater than themselves that they had to kick out of that land. Yeah. So even when the land was theirs, it was not theirs until they got to experiencing it. Yeah. Okay? So just follow me for a few moments. So the message here with a rod became very important to me because we're going to look at something. How did Israel go from Egypt through the wilderness and into the promised land? And God has a promised land for each one of us, for every one of our family. There's a promised land for this church. And we are on a journey now towards our destiny. And I mentioned to some of the leaders yesterday, intention will not take you there. The direction will. So I can have a good intention to go to the airport tomorrow. But if I go in the wrong direction, you can pray for me that I'm going to get there. We can also have fasting. Oh, let's fast together. He's going to go to the airport. But if I go in the wrong direction, I'm not going to get there. Because intention doesn't take you. And there's a lot of good intention. But if you don't have a clear direction, you're not going to get there. And so for the Israelites, we're about to start. Let's go to Exodus 4, verse 1 and 5. 1 through 5. And I'm going to be very generous reading some extra scripture verses. Are you guys okay? We are getting somewhere. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. And these are the verses of Papa Jack. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me, or listen to my word and my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said, What is that that you have in your hand? He said, A a rod. And he said, Cast it to the ground. So he cast it to the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses, he fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and he caught it. And it became a rod in his hand so that they may believe, so that Ankeny may believe, so that Washington D.C. may believe that the Lord God of the fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to you. And later on with this rod, verse 17 and 20, you're going to do signs, wonders, and miracles. So again, the message of Papa Jack is, what is it that you have in your hand? And that's going to be the question this evening. And there's going to be an incredible upgrade this evening. So the story when Moses, if you took back long, long time ago, 
There was a season and there was a time when the enemy was picking up what God is doing. And this is important for us to understand. If you tell me about the five biggest crises we have in America, some people say there's an attack on gender and family. Other one would say, wow, there's another attack that is going on. This whole progressive liberal that is connected. Somebody else were coming up. And if you name the top five area the division that happened from the George Floyd. We are divided politically. We are divided. You look at all those areas that the enemy is doing. If you want to find out the opposite of all of that, that's exactly what God is doing right now. Amen. We have a unity right now like we've never seen before. God is restoring the family in a way we've never seen before. The next revival in America is a family revival. And it is a generational move. And the reason the enemy is trying to stop this is because of the destiny that we have. So if you can recognize where the serpent has bitten, that's where you have the greatest authority. So at this moment, God has a plan and God is moving and is about to move. And the enemy is picking up with it. So he's going into this system. And the system of that time, there was a Pharaoh. So Satan himself goes into Pharaoh, coming into an alignment. Let's kill all the baby boys. Why? Because of fear. Because God is about to restore something. God is about to do something. The covenant-keeping God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has heard the cry, let my people go. And he no longer is okay for us to be in Egypt and be controlled by Egypt, be influenced of Egypt, because God has called us to be a promised land. He has called us actually moving into a promised land to be a family that was going to represent the family of heaven on earth. That was supposed to rule and reign together with him. So in this journey, the enemy is picking up and is attacking in this area. And right in the middle of it, let me just be honest, one time I, I felt sorry for the devil. <laughs> I almost pray for the devil. Because every single time the devil is doing something evil, it just gives me new upgrades. One day, I felt I was backslidden because there had not been one major attack. I'm like, what is wrong with me? Because as long as there's no wind coming against me as an eagle, I do not soar faster and higher. So everything that the enemy is coming as weapon against me, it leads to upgrades. And this was the same. So the devil is picking up. Let's kill all the baby boys. And mama is recognizing. She has a little boy named Moses. She put the little baby boy into the Nile. And the boy is floating down the Nile. And guess what? Here, the princess that represents Pharaoh, she's down there washing and bathing. You see, ah, baby boy. She picks up the baby boy, take him into Pharaoh. So the very one the enemy is trying to kill, guess what God is doing? And now Pharaoh has to pay for the diaper bills. <laughs> Pharaoh pays for the education. Pharaoh pays for everything in the middle of this system. That's why sometimes I feel sorry for the devil. It's like, enemy, don't you know anything better? Because what men means for evil, God uses for good. So whatever comes that way. So anyway, in the middle of this, this boy grows up. And for the next 40 years, he's in the school of Pharaoh, the school of Egypt. I mean, he is in the kingdom of darkness. I don't want to use any political because I know there's that vision here in America. But whatever is the political party, your opposition of, imagine you're being trained by the best. 
And he is here trained by Pharaoh himself. I mean, he knows the culture of Egypt. He knows the language of Egypt. He knows the economy of Egypt. He knows everything. I mean, he will have a THDA, PhDA, demon, and you go through the system. He will have an MBA in economics. He would have everything. 40 years with all the best training. And after 40 years, he is about to graduate from the school of Egypt. After 40 years, he is being qualified. Say qualify. And he's about to be ordained. Say ordained. So the first day of his kind of a ministry experience, he see, he sees some Egyptians that is killing some of his family. He's kind of a divider because in him he is like an Egyptian. But also in him there is something else. And there's some of us that have had that divisiveness in us. Because you may be saying, you, you know you've been saved, but you're not totally become free. So in this journey, so Moses comes in and the next day two of his brothers are fighting. And they are saying, are you going to do to us what you did to the Egyptian? And they run for, and he runs for his life. He gets crippled by fear. So now he ends up in the wilderness and in the wilderness there for 40 years. If you got to know him, 40 years earlier, when he is 40 years old, he is qualified. Say qualify. The next 40 years, he becomes disqualified. Say disqualified. And that's how you become qualified. It took 40 years to get him out of Egypt, but it took another 40 years to get Egypt out of him. And then God can begin. So now after about 40 years, God is coming, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Now the time has become. Moses, I have this assignment for you. I'm going to take 800,000 men plus women and children, about 3 million Jews. You're going to take them out of Egypt, and you're going to take them through the wilderness, and you're going to take them to their promised land. Moses has five big excuses. God, I don't know how to talk. I stutter and... Remember the five excuses. You can read it in Exodus 3. And he's coming up with the excuses, and God finally have had enough of those five big excuses why he is not the one. And God comes in, and he said, well, what, what, what do I tell Pharaoh? And he just tell him that I am have sent you. I am that I am. If you capture the revelation of that, it changes everything. It's over at that moment. I am. And if I were Moses, I'd say, God, uh, that's not very good grammar. <laughs> I got a letter from the president of Pakistan last week. I'm going to go there next month during Thanksgiving to the presidential palace, and I'm going to meet with these leaders. But imagine when I meet with the president and say, okay, who sent you? I am sent me. <laughs> that doesn't make sense, does it? But that's what God says. Tell them that I am have sent you. But if you capture that, it changes everything for you. You need healing? I am. I am that I am. I am your healer. I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the God that heals. You need peace? I am Jehovah Shalom. I am that I am. You're weak? I am your strength. Whatever you need, I am. I am that I am. It's a covenant. This is the wedding band. You are one with him at that moment. I am that I am. And the only response back is, you are, you are, you are. And Anthony and Des Moines and America will say, he is, he is. The journalists will say, he is a healer. He is a good God. And it will start to spread like wildfire. 
When you capture the I am, God's people says you are, the world will say he is. Are you guys okay? Are you getting anything? Is something getting you? And then we're moving on. I'm just going to go into a couple of things and then we're going into the highlight of this. Then you're coming into this point where eventually Moses goes to Egypt to make the story short. And that's what we've read here in Exodus 4, verse 1 through 5. He comes in, Moses, now what do you have in your hand? And sometimes we can focus on what we don't have instead of what we have. And another thing, this is an identity question. Who are you? And for Moses, automatically, I I am a shepherd. This is a shepherd's rod. I got a rod. This is my identity. For 40 years, this has been with me. It's been carved. Uh, It's been my protection. It's my retirement. It's everything. I mean, this is my life. And God says, I want you to lay down. But but, but God, that's what happened to me 16 years ago. We talked about it earlier. Leif, what do you have in your hand? Papa Jack, I cannot cannot go to any treatment center. We are supporting 22 nations. We lay it down. But, but don't understand, we have all these employees, people that are depending on me. Lay it down. But is it your ministry or my ministry? Is it your church or his church? Is it your business or his business? Is it your money? Lay it down. But, but, but God, you don't understand, it's very hard. I've depended. This has been with But when Moses lays it down, it becomes a serpent. And here's the second key. You do not know if there's any poisonous nature in what God has given you until you lay it down. Let me say it another way. Until you become, until you become free from it, you cannot totally be trusted with it. Because it has a little hiss in it. But God wants all the hiss to go out and all of hiss to go in. I don't know if you got that one. God wants all the of the serpent, of the serpent to go out and all of his to go in. He wants fear to go out and perfect love to come in. He wants weakness to go out and perfect strength to coming in. And he's going to replace everything. And then eventually he says, I want you to pick it up. But this time, pick it up after the tail. Hold on to a lesser end. And then eventually becomes God's rod. I got God's rod. God's ability, God's power, God's authority, God's promise, God's presence. I got him. And as long as we're holding up the rod of God, light is penetrating darkness. Love is penetrating fear. Atmosphere is changing around. So what are we holding up in this season? There's a lot of people that are pulling down the rod instead of lifting up the rod. And then there's a lot of people that are operating with their rod. And I know in my season, when Papa Jack, the last word he said, son... Moses and the rod laid down. There was a holy moment. And I think it is for all of us. What do you have in your hand? Papa Jack saw something in this season. He knew about the political climate. He knew what's going on in America. We often talked about it. He knew about all the mess. But he knew the key was in God's people. That we knew that what we have, what we've been given. And for us to consecrate, to lay down ours and pick up his. And let all the hiss go out so all of his could come in. 
There was something that I wanted to tap into because there is a place for these young people, the next generation. There is this land where there's rest on all sides. There's no adversary. There's no evil occurrence. I'm heading into the Middle East again. I'm going to go within the next six, seven months, I believe I'm going to be in Kabul, inside the Taliban. Why would you going in there? Because I'm in the light business. And because I don't want my grandchildren that I don't have to meet suicide bombers in the movie theaters. I'm willing to pay a price that they can play. But then I'm going to teach you to pay so the next generation can play. And if you have three generations, you will change a city and a nation. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, nation. Father, Son, Spirit, nations. So here we are. We're about to start a journey, and this is the practical aspect. Welcome to the school of radiology. <laughs> I was doing an event in, uh, in Canada. John Arnott was there, and, and also Benny Hinn. And when I, right before I was about to speak, they had put me up front with this one famous doctor in Canada. And uh, the, the leader of this event, the conference, he said, you need to meet this doctor. And the doctor told me who he was. And I turned back and said, my name is Dr. Leif Hetland. <laughs> and he said, well, what kind of a doctor is you? Yeah, he didn't say, is you, are you? <laughs> <laughs> So I said, well, I am a doctor in radiology. (laughs) And he said, "Uh, you are not from Canada, are you? (laughs) In Canada, we say radiology. (laughs) And I said, but mine is in radiology. And he kind of looked, but when I got up on the stage with a rod and I looked at him, I was like, (laughs) (laughs) the logic of the rod, radiology. (laughs) So here we are, Moses goes, here 800,000, as I've heard in cats, 800,000 with orphan spirit. These people here have been in Egypt, they think like Egypt, they walk like Egypt, they talk like Egypt. I mean, they've been influenced by Egypt. They're supposed to be head and not tail. But Moses comes in, and we know the whole story, and he starts his journey. And it is hard. I mean, it is like, yeah, shepherding 3,000 cats. It's like they are. <laughs> and Moses have all these issues. They are fighting and complaining. And finally, Moses have had enough. God, I have this problem. They are fighting and complaining. And they will go back to Egypt again. And you told me to take them to the promised land, but they don't want to. And they just... Talking like slave and walking like slave, I tell them. I don't know if you've had those prayer meetings. <laughs> I had quite a few of them during September. No, excuse me, just uh, for September and a little bit in October. God, here it happened again. Yesterday, I got a call again. <gasps> one of my best friends, leukemia, is dying in the hospital, South Africa. He's the one that started a global day of prayer, the biggest prayer movement of the world. 70 million people praying all over the world. Grand Power, we pray for you, Graham. Another friend who was connected to Father Heart message in Canada is on ventilator with COVID. You get in a moment and God, and you're getting into one of those. And then God in the middle, God, I have this problem here. And God whispered, excuse me, Moses, what was the problem? I just told you, God, three million of them. Excuse me, what is your problem? God. Christopher and I have had some of those conversations. (laughs) 
And then in the next moment, God says, excuse me, Moses, but what do you have in your hand? God, we don't have the time to talk about the rod. I'm talking about three million. What do you have in your hand? I got a rod. (laughs) Oh, okay. What kind of a rod is it? I got your rod. I got your presence. I got your power. I got your authority. I got your peace. I got your strength. I got your joy. I got your freedom. I got you. The I am that I am. I got you. Wow. <laughs> Moses, what was your problem? <laughs> God, I don't have a problem. You have a problem. <laughs> Those three million people, what are you going to do about it? Oh, I wish it was over. If it was that easy. (gasps) Next situation. Have we had it all this season? And there's more coming. Fasten your seatbelt. And I hope that you're going to recognize in a moment when you're facing that phone call. Or you're watching the newspaper, hearing CNN. As we're moving into the future, you're going to learn how to operate with the rod of God. And start to change atmosphere. Open the Red Sea. Walking into your promised land. Holy so the next situation comes along and it seems like things is going on and then you get the tweet. Whew, somebody just tweeted. Pharaoh is upset. Somebody else sent a text message. Pharaoh is coming. And before, it's all over the social media. And Pharaoh is coming with his whole army. <gasps> army is on one side and in the front of us is what? What sea? Ah, so the Red Sea, you are caught between the rock and the hard place. That's what happened with my tumor. When Paul was here and Christopher experienced the lightning from where he was at. I'm laying down there. And I was just going down and down and down. I was dying. But when I was not able to hold up the rod because I was so tired of fighting, God sent from the Philippines other people to hold up the rod of God. And eight days before my surgery in my office on that floor, as I lost 46 pounds, I'm pale and I'm smelling death, looking death. And Paul said, you're going to live and not to die. I'd heard Ted White say, Don Moller say, other ones the same thing. But something changed because I said, look in the mirror, Daddy Leif. I looked in the mirror, my face was glowing. And at that moment, it was just something that went into me where I knew I can't die. I'm going to live and not die. I paid $3,000 to do new scats, a CT scan and all the tests because they said, well, there's no need for it. We already have surgery schedule." And by the time I went in for surgery, and I have a big scar here, eight inch, that goes down like this. There was a tumor size of an apple. It shrank one inch, and it went from being malignant to non-malignant. And it was all about the rod. If I didn't know about the rod of God, who is going to help me to hold up the rod of God? His promises, his presence. So at this moment, army, Red Sea, army, Red Sea. Sounds like a good rap. And then in the middle of all of that, Moses again, crisis situation. God, army, Red Sea. And the God is like, excuse me, what did you say your problem was? I just told you, God, this time, don't talk about radiology or anything else. <laughs> army, Red Sea, we're going to die. You let us in here to die. Have you had those prayer meetings? <laughs> Many times, doesn't matter where I go, I'm totally stuck. And when I don't know what to do, I know where to go. And in the middle of it, what do you have in your hand? God! And then eventually we know the story. 
I got your rod. I got your ability. I got your presence. I got your power. I got your authority. He opens up the Red Sea. Three million people walk over. He closes down the Red Sea. The first trip, Paul Yada went with me to Pakistan. 500 radical Muslims broke the robe, come towards us. We're less than 15 seconds. I had just been in the school of radiology with Papa Jack the year before. 15 seconds, I have guards with guns and machine guns that is pointing around in Karachi, and it will be mass killings. And my thing is, if you break the robe, you have to shoot because of the security. But at that moment, I'm looking at my coordinator, and I remember the rod, do nothing. And they're coming, you have less than 15 seconds. Our team is going to get killed. Paul, Tim, everybody, a part of our team, Doug, is about to get killed. And I have to make that responsibility in less than a second. But I just have to rest at this very moment. They came in and suddenly they touched this area and heaven came on them. The glory fell on them. And 500 of them starts to dance in the spirit and starts to worship extravagantly. And they wouldn't stop. It was like you hit the zone and heaven opened up. And I remember the Red Sea just and then came in. I didn't have a rod with me, but in my mind I had it. I remember Papa Jack. What do you have in your hands, son, when I saw this? Just lay it on. Pick up mine. Just rest. And God was working when I was resting. And we have it on video. It was just an extravagant worship. The faces started to glow of the glory of God. And I don't know what is facing you on one side or the other. You're certainly there very helpless, but don't give up. And then one more picture, and I'm landing this. This is more practical. There's story after story I take you through. But this is where I want us to go now with Heartland. There was a season where you had individual with a rod. It's not going to be enough in this season. I want you to hear me. It's not about a man of God or an anointed or gifted to have a rod. This is about a family and a rod. And this is what Papa Jagger knew. And that's what he was. That's what Bob was. And that's what I want to be for you guys. It's somebody that can help you to hold up the rod of God over you. And I know, I know Jeff is here that I saw earlier. There's other pastors around in this area. When your arms are tired, they're coming from Heartland. Say, let us hold up the rod of God over you, over your finances, over the addiction. And you're going to see a unity like we've never seen before. But it is all these people that have laid down their rod, picked up God's rod. And when we're holding up God's rod, environment starts to change. But then when the enemy is attacking me and we come with John and says, no, John, and people are coming, we're holding up the rod of God and the immune system of the body of Christ just going in and suddenly we start to see. And I felt we had a taste of this the last trip we had in the Philippines and we can testify. I had a team of 16 people. Some of them had never seen a healing or miracle on my last trip we did before COVID shut it down. It was a phenomenal trip. But God, I was teaching him about the baptism of love and identity because we take two days to soak before we start because we don't want to do assignment without alignment. We don't want to give something we didn't first receive. And the first day of going outreach and do ministry, we're going to go to a hospital, go to a prison, into some villages, and pray for the sick, sharing Jesus. And the team is prepared. I'm getting a bad migraine headache. I can be honest, I could press forward and be able to have done it. But I felt this leading of the Spirit. I want you to do nothing. Just be in your room and just rest. You rest. Your team can do this. If not, people are going to think you have something to do with it. So I just laid in my bed. The team came back again that day and the next day, the next two days. 100% of every one they prayed for got healed. 100%. 535 healings. Every blind eyes was open. Every tumor disappeared. The stroke victim stood up. They went into a prison where every prisoner got healed and every prisoner got saved. 100%. Yeah. 
and I was not even there. The whole team of ordinary people, but I knew it was a taste of something that can be the new norm if we can just, because love unites, fear divides. And if we can get out of his and fill it up with his and coming together say, Christopher, let me help you to hold up the rod of God. Leanne, let me help you to hold up the rod of God. It's happened many times over these years where we do that with one another. But Papa Jack knew there was something before he went that we have to lay down our rod. And I was like, I've done this message for over 10 years, but it was something new. And I feel that's what I want to tap into today. And it was two things that I felt in the spirit that Papa Jack wanted for us to leave behind. And you're the first one I'm sharing this with on this personal level of those two things. One of them that was in the spirit that Papa Jack wanted is to be able to see that we're coming there as a family, holding up the rod of God together as a family. And that the family of families will start to hold up. So over Kathy and, and Dave, the whole family is coming. They need something. We're all holding up the rod of God. And they're coming alongside somebody else. And before you know it, you have a whole body that starts to operate, holding up the rod of God. And the enemy, when he attacks one of us, he attacks all of us because we are a big family. And none of all of the young generation and everything else, we're holding up the rod of God. Just in Montana, I saw the glory on the children there. We had an impartation. I just saw the glory. But then in the Foursquare Church, two weeks ago on Sunday night, the glory came in over the 80 and 90-year-old. And I knew it was a generational move of God's spirit. I saw all three generations in the glory. These people, 80, 90-year-old, have never seen or experienced this before. It was the first time they experienced the glory. Some might have been praying for 40, 50 years, never seen it. And the glory came and just glued them. And they was laying. They wouldn't move. Even when I left that building, they were still all over, just resting in his glory. Just ordinary people like you and I, there's nothing sacred to it. It's just that we're laying down all the things, the burdens you have, and you pick up his blessing. Just lay down your fear and pick up his perfect love. Lay down whatever it is. And we are in a season where the shaking has just begun. You better fasten your seatbelt. But there's something unshakable that will stand. And you have two people that is keys to this house. One was Bob Phillips, and he was all about covenant. The other one was Jack Taylor. It's all about kingdom. You had a father of this house that was both Dave and I, our spiritual fathers. So we are covenant brothers. But covenant is all about family. And the kingdom is about the mission of that family. Not family or mission, but family on mission. And God is going to do something in this place. But this wave is going to continue. That was my connection with you the first time. And it's my connection. Now this is a healthy fireplace. But the next season is going to go. The fire is going to start to spread to other fireplaces. And God is just raising up a family of families all over. I couldn't say that 10 years ago. But I can say it today. There's something healthy that God has set up for such a time as this. I want us to stand to our feet. The first part of it right now, let's practice. And even for the young people, there's three things I knew that God needed to get out of the rod. One of them has to do with guilt from your past. Any guilt from your past needs to go in this season. Any shame for today needs to go. And any fear for tomorrow needs to go. This is a, and I'm talking about now if there's shame in your life because the enemy would say shame on you. Well, Papa says shame off you. So if there's any issue in your life, repent. It's a season of repentance and just get rid of whatever it is and allowing all the hiss to go out of your life so all of his can fill you up. 
But I want you to hold out your hands today. And I have one thing that is burdening me in this season, and it has been. So every time I hold a rod, I know what it is. I don't know what it is you're holding on to. Some of you have a prodigal son. And I remember at the Rock Church, just where you're standing, sir, on the third row, a lady was there, and she has been holding on 11 years, I think it was, that her son, bipolar, methamphetamine, has been gone and running and addiction. And at that moment when we did a rod, she laid on that boy. And less than 30 minutes afterwards, I had not seen him in 11 years, he comes in and hugs his mama, repents, and gives his life over to Jesus. I'm not saying it always happens that quickly, but there's something that happens when you learn to rest and let God work. When you know that God will take care of your kids better than you can, that doesn't mean we're not going to do anything. We're going to do what the Father says, and we're going to do what the Father <laughs> is doing. But I'm just sensing now, what is it that you have in your hand? I just heard somebody have a husband, a spouse, and you're just longing for him to be connected to do this life together. Hearing somebody else with a business, somebody else chronic pain. Whew. You're afraid of hoping because hope deferred made your heart sick. But today you're going to start to desire again and dream again. It is the tree of life. Holy, holy, holy. So Holy Spirit, Holy, Holy Spirit. I'm just asking that you will just come and rest upon your family. What are you carrying? What is your burden? What is weighing you down? What is overwhelming you? What is that one thing? That family member. I have one person in my life. It's been a long time. 16 years I've been praying and waiting. And I just have to over and over lay it down. Yesterday in my room, I need this big financial breakthrough for what I'm doing next month. But I was asking the Father, Father, how should I send out a mass letter to everybody to share? And I knew that was me with my rod, not God's rod. And I just had to lay it down. I just have to trust in you for this one, Papa. He's trustworthy. Could you just wave to me if you have something that you can lay down? Let me just, I think it should be Everybody. That there's something in here that is weighing on us in this season. And just let's just be honest here. Yeah, we all have something. Or maybe a lot of things. So we're going to just hold, that in, hold out your hands just like you have a rod there. Holy, Holy Spirit, come. Whew, yeah, there it is. I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, you take a little step back. And you're going to lay down that opiates addiction to somebody right now just... You're going to lay it down. You have fear of what it's going to feel like. No, lay it down. There's freedom. More. So one, two, three. Just lay down a little step back. We just welcome all the, all the fear to go out. All the shame to go out. All the guilt to go out. And just allowing now the presence the power, the peace, the provision, the healing, just healing. Yeah. Holy. More. 
Just a couple of more things. We count to three, and then you're going to pick it up. One, two, three. Pick up the rod. And I'm taking mine after the tail to hold it on with a lesser, and let's hold it up. Before it was a problem, now it is a promise. It belongs to him. It is his, the I am that I am. You're holding up, this is a wedding band declaration. You're one with him. What is true of him is true of you. And he cares more about your children than you care. So, Father, I just thank you that angels, even at this moment, are working. Your Holy Spirit is convicting. You're sending people to some of our beloved ones right now. Father, you want your family back. I know this is COVID season, so if you cannot do this, just put your arms against your chest and nobody will judge you for it. But I felt you're supposed to just take the people's, just here, in the wrist around each other and hold all over this place. If you just even wash your hands afterwards, it should be safe, do 20 seconds. I'm just saying for some people, I do want, I'm serious, I want to honor everyone that is in here because you're my family. So just hold up because we're going to do this. And I just even sensing now that there's going to be healing flowing through this. Anyone that needs healing in the body, it's coming from the whole family. The immune system, the love that we have for one another, is just going to flow right now. So Holy Spirit, I just release that fire, fire, fire. The flames of love, the flames of love. Show! And just starts to touch every single one that is connected here. We're standing there and saying, whoa, more Lord, more. Increase, increase, more. More, yes. Whew. Just take it one more wave. Just hold there, just. You maybe have a weakness in one area, somebody else has strength. And just, uh, yeah, just, uh, <laughs> hold. There's a divine exchange taking place here. But you're not alone. Even sensing somebody been struggling with suicide, it's going to be healed here tonight. You're just going to know you're not alone. Depression is going to be lifted right now. In Jesus' name, be free. In Jesus' name, addiction is going to be gone. It's going to be gone in Jesus' name. And I even see people have been watching things on the screen. And your eyes is being purified now in Jesus. And blessed are the pure in heart. You lay it down, lay it down. You don't have to carry any longer. On a daily basis, you're going to be able to lay down, whoa, whatever it is. And allowing the hiss to go out and hiss to fill you up. And there's one more. And this is the way I felt that Papa Jack had never done and I had never done. But I knew as we're going into worship, just rest your arms for a second. And this is the big one. This is what I felt was the message of Papa Jack. I felt that the father said after Papa Jack says, Leif, would you be a rod in my hand? And are you willing just to take your life and let me take all the hiss out of you and fill you with all of me and then I can use you in whatever way I want to I will hold you up and I will use you as an instrument in my hand you have that one life to live and you have so much love to give even some of the young people there's an incredible freedom there's an incredible freedom in a place of total surrender and I felt it was almost like there's this big offering plate up front here 
And what we're doing here is that this is a holy moment. So it's not just a charismatic, oh yes, God, whatever you want. No, there's a holy thing when you come because I know that uh, there's healing that needs to take place in my body for me to finish well. But it started with me, including what's going on right now. This is not a good time to go into the Middle East. And I'm going on a plane because I'm a rod in his hand. I gave up my right. I just laid down my life. And I let him, whatever fear I need to go out, or whatever excuses I have, I let him just cleanse out that and fill me up with yours. It's not a one-time thing. It is a daily thing. I travel with this. I have it in my room. And I did it yesterday about finances. I'm going to need something else today. It's a life sentence, but it starts today. And when you feel things is tough and difficult, you will remember this day at the altar and realizing that you have surrendered. You have given your life. I know he's your savior, but it is also connected to the Lordship for him to be the Lord over all. And trusting your life totally to him because he is trustworthy. He is a good, good father. He is a loving father. If you're sensing that we're going into a little worship now, but I'm sensing that something's going to happen up, and I want Christopher to come up and join me in this. I just, uh, he always joins me, but I want you just to come up here. Anyone that just says, I'm willing to take this one life I have, the future. You may be coming up like Moses. I have some excuses. I have health. Or what about this? Or I'm not qualified. That's not what I'm asking. Are you just willing to come? And just take the one life you have and put that. We're taking up an offering. But today you are going to be the offering. Some of you, you can end up in the nations. Other ones, you will end up as a school teacher. But it's a holy time. And I just saw that. It's amazing what God is going to do to ordinary people like you and I. And you maybe kneel or maybe go down. They're going to take us into the presence. And I'm seeing the picture I saw was like the river in Ezekiel. It was just flowing. At first, it's going to touch our feet. And it was a liquid love that was touching our feet. And then the river is going to continue to go up and down all over the altar. And if there's not room here, just find up in the aisle. It's not that. It's just meaning we're taking a stand together today. This is a holy moment for the... And I know it on my own because I'm sensing this pain. I do realize the sacrifice in this season. It's hard for my family during Thanksgiving. My wife is so gracious. It's hard some of the things she's calling me to do. It's hard. It's things in me. But again, I did just what you did. I just... After Papa Jack went, again, I just... I was tired. I'm weary. I have a lot of health issues. And I'm like... But I just stepped into that offering plate and I just trust him with his one life that I have. That's all I have. And it counts for eternity. Just take out of me any of the his and just fill me up with all the his. I need your presence. I need your peace. I need your power. I need your strength. I need your joy. I need your freedom. I just need you. When I got you, I got everything. And if I have everything and I don't have you, I have nothing. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.